What's up guys, Josh here from the Rising Action Podcast. In this episode, Grayson and I talk about Luke's father, Batman's greatest nemesis, the Mad Titan, and many more of our favorite antagonists in cinema history. We both are super excited to get into it, so I won't waste any more time, and I'm going to dive into it with Grayson. Give me one reason why I shouldn't have my boy here pull your head off. How about a magic trick? I'm going to make this pencil disappear. Ta-da! It's, it's gone. All right, we should be good to go. I believe so. Welcome back, everyone, to the Rising Action Podcast. It's me, your boy, Grayson. With me is the other boy, Josh. How you doing, buddy? Hello. How are, how are y'all? Happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that reminds me, we have to choose the, the quote for this. So, I mean, you're, whoever's listening to this will already know what the quote is, but we'll, we'll figure it out after. Yeah. Oh, I, can't, I've already, I already have some great ideas. This is going to be fun, fun, fun. There are, um, there's a lot of different ways this could go. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening to this, you know we are talking about villains this week. Um, something that Josh and I are very passionate about. We do love us some antagonists. Yes. Um, um, so, yeah, it should be a fun episode. But before we get into that, I want to plug the social. Social, social yes, media. socials. I had to think, yeah, the social medias. There we go. Uh, we have at Rising Action underscore on Instagram. Um, I assume Josh has been posting some stuff on there. Uh, I've been trying, you know, I've yeah, been yeah. busy. I did not post an audiogram from last week's episode yet, which is kind of a major L, but you know what? Big rip. Yeah. Oh, well, it's fine. I did, well, hey, but you, I did post that so, IGTV video. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was, if, if you haven't checked, uh, check it out yet. He did a video on, was it your like nine favorite movies? Right. Like I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed <laughs> afterward being like, it's not even a round number. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just, just nine of them nine. and i know whoever watched that was really like dude give me 10 or five yeah. and i was like no yeah. you get nine <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love the spontaneity of yeah. it it was a really good video uh so if you don't follow us on instagram at rising action underscore and you can find josh's newest creation there you can also follow me at tradester8 on both twitter and instagram and follow Josh at the other ones that he will say now <laughs> at Josh Johnson 98 on Instagram and at Josh underscore J 98 on Twitter. The best of Fan- the social media platforms. Fantastic. Yes. Thank you. I, I had to talk to some people and be like, I'm like, I love Twitter. And they're like, a lot of people in our generation, fun fact, do not like Twitter. Um, See, here's the thing, I love right? Twitter. I feel like Facebook is the Twitter for old people, but all they do is post political stuff. At least with Twitter, you get some funny stuff along with all the political commentary. So, like, nobody likes political commentary, generally speaking. I don't think anybody loves... Like, if you do, cool, awesome, great. But generally speaking, I don't think many people do. So, at least Twitter gives you something else to, to look forward to. And it's... You can find some real gems. Real gems. Instagram is memes for me. That's it. It's just memes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I see that. What I like about Twitter is that like none, no, almost nobody in my personal life is involved with my Twitter, so I can just be completely disassociated yeah. from people in real life. <laughs> I can't say the so same, I'm like, but I'm starting to use it a lot more, and I yeah. like using Twitter. It's really, yeah. I don't. It's really fun when you have people who you know are going to respond to you and interact with you oh, on yeah. Twitter. That makes yeah. it that much better. If it's just you, you tweeting into the ether. It's kind of like this is stupid. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta make the connections. And I've been on Twitter for like six years now, but to the point where it's like I have so many people that I know from different facets of Twitter, whether that be film Twitter, comic book Twitter, video game Twitter, like all yeah. of that stuff. Like I, I know people within those that are prominent, and so it makes connections fun. Yes. Um. So, next thing I want to say is we have our giveaway winner. We do. Josh, why don't you want to tell them about that? So we had three entrants, which is, I guess, kind of... How many did... Entries? Entry? Entrant? One of those. Entrants? We had three people that said they wanted to get a free copy of Goodfellas. We had three ints uh, from Lord of the Rings. Yes. So (laughs) our winner is Andrew Collins. Andrew... If you're listening to this episode, I'm sure you are. He's been a pretty faithful listener from the get-go. Congratulations, buddy. You'll be getting a free copy of Goodfellas in the mail here in the next couple of days. Yeah, so before we get into antagonists and villains, let's talk about what we've been, the worlds we've been exploring. Very good. Why don't you start us off, Grayson? Because I feel like you've had a better week of it than I have. You know, not really. Oh. <laughs> um, well, maybe not. <laughs> I have a, I have not had the ability to play many video games. I have not watched many movies. Um, I, the one movie that I did start watching but did not finish yesterday was the very first Superman, which I got the Blu-ray for, Ooh. Um, directed by Richard Donner and released in 1978. Oh, well, I'll say this. I watched, so what ha- the reason I was compelled to watch that is because I watched a two-hour-long documentary on Superman. Holy crap. And, like, and yeah, it, which came out back when Superman Returns came out, so like 2006, I think. Was that the one with Brandon um, Routh? Yes. Okay. Um, and so I watched this two-hour-long documentary, and I was like so moved and inspired by it. I was like, I want to go watch Superman now. So I watched about an hour of it last night, maybe not even that much because it it was really late, and eventually I was just tired. Um, and I'm going to finish it later tonight because I took a nap before recording this and had a cup of coffee. So I'm gonna have a lot of energy in the tank. Um, Heck yeah, dude. Yeah. Um, tomorrow I'm not doing anything, so I'm probably gonna play some games, watch some movies. So I'll keep you updated on that. Um, Last of Us Part Two comes out uh, tomorrow at midnight. Um, so I'm Man, very thrilled about that. If only yeah. I had a PS4, I would play that. Yeah, PS4. Uh, honestly, I think a PS4 would be, or a, or a PlayStation in general would be a worthy investment for you because the single player stories are much better. S- much. I better. will be getting the modem. The 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 PS5. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not getting the yeah. fridge. I'm getting the modem. The, the fridge. <laughs> Honestly, I don't blame you. I mean, I'm a big... I'm, I play both, but yeah. Um, anyway, so Superman, and then just continuing to read more from a certain point of view. I've read a couple chapters more, and they've been pretty interesting. Um, 
but nothing like super groundbreaking in terms of like massive revelations because I've seen like later chapters in that book. Yeah. Um, and it's been things like you know massive, massive characters that they're getting their own stories, and I'm like that, that are still not like main characters of Star Wars, but I'm like, okay, I'm ready to get into those. Um, but I have not quite gotten there yet. So at the moment, I'm just kind of I'm about. A little over a fourth of the way through that book. It feels like I'm going by a lot faster, but it's like a 400-page book. So pretty long. Good amount. Good amount of stories in there. It's pretty chunky. Um, I'm trying to think if there has been anything else I have been up to. No, I I think I think that's it. What about you? So <clears throat> I'm checking my letterbox right now to <laughs> make sure I haven't missed any movies. That uh, old letterbox. Yeah, no, I haven't missed any. We should plug our letterboxed. We should. If okay, if there's anybody who's really into movies, really into film, yes, um, follow me on letterboxed. I'm gonna pull up. Okay, I am Josh underscore J ninety eight. It's the same thing as my Twitter. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm fairly active on letterboxed. I pretty much leave reviews for about every movie I watch. I'm gonna try to get better about that. It's going to be a consistent thing for me. Um. I am at Straits There Eight. Oh, wow. surprise, surprise. Uh, it's yeah. so convenient. Yeah. But uh, anyway, um, I got the Hobbit trilogy. I don't remember if I said that in the last episode or not, but I did buy... I don't buy, know if you said it, but yeah, I know. Yeah, I bought the Hobbit trilogy on Blu-ray finally, and I watched the first two movies. Still haven't gotten to the third. I watched them back-to-back nights, and I just have had no time this week. Um, yeah. So I watched those, and... I do like them. I think the, the the third is where it kind of went off the deep end a little bit for me. But I do remember um, moments in uh, probably Desolation of Smaug, especially where it just didn't age super well. Yeah. Um, the the CG lighting and stuff, I, was, I, I mean, it's like it's not really that bad, but... It didn't age as well as Lord of the Rings did, which is kind of a bummer because Lord of the Rings is much older. Yeah, it is a bit unfortunate. I have not watched the Hobbit movies, so I've only I've seen the second one the most. I've seen it like three or four times. I think. I think it's I've really good. Seen, I I like it. I think it's the best paced in terms of action yeah. and like development. Yeah. I think the the third has just so much in it in terms of like action that I'm just like. It kind of gets a little <laughs> bit, and there's just so much in the third movie that's not in the the book. Yeah. And so you got the purists that are like this is trash and then the rest of people are like that was a really freaking long battle. So yeah. I don't know. It's it, Hobbit trilogy is an interesting It's really interesting weird. It's trilogy. really hard to kind of like figure out. I feel like a lot of people either love them or hate them. And I yeah. cannot be on either side of that. I feel like I like parts of them, and I really dislike other parts of them. I'm the same. But way. collectively, I cannot figure out if I love them or hate them. Like I'm kind of somewhere in the middle on them. I definitely don't love them. I don't think yeah, I do I either. I really I like parts of them. Yeah, I think that's the same thing. I, I'm also just naturally a very like middle of the road person. So yeah, but see, I love Lord of the Rings. Stuff. Like Lord of the Rings, the original trilogy oh, yeah. can do no wrong. Yeah. They're perfect. I still need to watch the extended editions. I oh, just, they're so much better. Yeah, so really? they're all like almost four hours long. So, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> rip your afternoon. But 
They're so yeah. good. I really want at some point to do a full Lord of the Rings uh, marathon where I watch all the Hobbit movies and all the Lord of the Rings movies consecutively, back to back to back to back to back. No, that's stupid. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, wanna, I just want to be like, okay, a Saturday and a Sunday, I'm going to do nothing else but this. I just like... I was talking to somebody, I don't remember who, about like how I just cannot like binge things anymore. Like I'm getting oh, I can't either. too old. Like that's <laughs> just like like I can't even binge all the Star Wars movies. Like the most I can watch is like I think the the most at least in Two. recent memory, the most Star Wars I've watched I actually watched three wow. in one day. I watched the entire sequel trilogy in one day. The day that The Rise of Skywalker came out, I saw. I watched The Force Awakens that morning. I watched The Last Jedi in the afternoon, and immediately, as, as soon as it was done, got in the car to go watch The Rise of Skywalker. Holy crap. So, the most I've be ever honest, watched in a day was when I got my wisdom teeth out, and I watched three movies in a row before I like passed out from super like horse tranquilizer pain meds. Yeah. I never got my wisdom teeth taken out. It's not fun, but you have videos where you're high and say the most ridiculous things ever, and you kind of embarrass your mom, and it's the greatest moment ever. See, I feel like I would just, you know, this is an entirely different topic. We need to get on to this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, the other one quick thing before we have in the episode is I've been reading Kings of the Wild by Nicholas Ames, and I've read like 40 pages this week. So th- neither one of us have really done a good job about enjoying things other than work and other garbage oh yeah i i worked for totally preface this i worked six days in a row so like cut me some slack Gosh. <laughs> yeah that's gross yeah so yeah. why don't we hop into the reason everybody's listening antagonists slash villains we're gonna talk about a few of them uh we're also gonna kind of talk about why we like certain ones but also as we were talking about before the episode we realized mm-hmm. in doing a little bit of research before this episode that there's not really any one thing that makes a great villain. A lot of great yeah. villains are extremely nuanced and very different from one another, which is really yeah. interesting because I feel like protagonists are not really that way. I think a lot of them, like there's kind of a rhyme and reason how to make a great protagonist. Yeah. And really great antagonists you find are very different from one another in approach. Um, yeah. And so I kind of want to, let's just, how about this? Start off. We've got a couple different ones that we really want to highlight. Why don't you right. hit me with the first one you really want to dive into? Oh, like there's so many choices and I and there's two that I specifically really want to talk about. So I think because it is it is so fresh and so recent in terms of, you know, shaping culture yeah. and and film, I I want to talk about Thanos. Okay. Thanos notoriously for to totally preface Thanos was not uh or he not originated in I mean granted this is, you know, you know, this is a, a storytelling podcast, so it's not strictly to film per se. Right. Um and and many of these characters as some of them that you will mention were did not originate in, you know, the their movies either. But um but yes, I'm specifically talking about Thanos from Infinity War and Endgame, um, because in the comics he's quite different. His motivations are pretty drastic. So it, I I would say Thanos in the comics is just like generic, like I'm evil, I'm bad, like, and, and that's a very like big trend when it comes to comic book villains. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think 
Infinity War was incredibly influential in terms of, you know, how famous, like, like an, another famous villain as added to the list. Like, like one that you will see, like Thanos became a huge point in culture and like memes and like everybody knew who Thanos was. It's this purple yeah. bald guy with a glove. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, it, it was, um, there is one thing that you find does contribute to a villain being um, well accepted or enjoyed is it's when villains win and Thanos yes. 100% won. Like, yeah. unequivocally, Thanos won. I actually am thinking all of the ones that we are going to talk about, I'm, ha, like, won in some capacity. Yes, every single one of them, and, and it varies, but every single one of them won in some way. Yeah. Um, they're never utterly defeated. It's not like, like, okay, Sauron is one of the most iconic villains ever, but he's unequivocally defeated multiple times in his arc as a character Mm -hmm. and as great and iconic as Sauron is. I mean, he is up there like top five iconic antagonists of all time. There's, it's just not a whole lot of, he doesn't win very much. And see, I think Sauron, I don't know if he's top five, in terms of like villains, How, I would say, say top he, five and iconic villains, not necessarily in terms of like villains, but like he is so easily memorable as, oh yeah, that's, that's like big bad villain. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to, at the end of the episode, we need to like list out our top five villains in terms of like, cause I, I, okay. I, I kind of disagree with that. I think Saruman was, was a bigger villain than, than he was Saruman better. Was. He was definitely yeah. better at least in terms of me watching it, I mm-hmm. enjoyed Sauron as a villain much more than Sauron. Yeah. But that being said, it's kind of like the difference between Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine. I think everybody mm-hmm. would say Darth Vader's a better villain, but Emperor Palpatine is very iconic. And it's different because Darth Vader is easily more iconic than Emperor Palpatine because of his arc. Yeah. But everybody would say Sauron is more iconic than Sauron, even though... I think most people who have seen the movies, even just alone or read the books, even just alone would say Sauron is a much better villain. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that that dual antagonist thing. Right. Um, but um, anyway, back to back to Thanos. Um, yeah, like I... This kind of goes into a whole... This whole thing with like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how, you know, they're... They, it kind of became a, a thing that they were known for having villains that sucked. <laughs> yeah. Because they didn't have villains have, that were worthy matches for their heroes. Yeah. And and it was very much like focus on the protagonist, not worry about the antagonist. But Thanos was somebody that they, they set up from the first Avengers movie as being this universal big bad. Yeah. Um, and the first major step they did was they actually, I, I would say this is something that is very, not it's not with every villain, but it is something that, can create a great villain and that's Thanos was you empathized with him yes right you you understood his motives and in infinity war they made him like a central character right yes. like it was like the main characters that maybe was like iron man and his posse captain america and his gang and then Thanos and what he's doing and those were like the three shifts right it's cuz it was kind of like a three-way thing of like what's what's going on over here what's going on over here these characters are meeting up with these characters and then Thanos and yeah. Thanos is like i think he has more screen time than any character in that movie yeah um 
one thing they did to really okay so we all knew who thanos was going into that movie because they did set him up beforehand but he only had minor screen time in like end credit scenes yeah and truly we didn't know what kind of character he was we knew he was a bad a yeah a badass we did not know to what level we didn't know anything about him the first scene in infinity war with thanos what they do is classically brilliant in terms of making your villain appear powerful is they pitted him against characters that we already know their strengths and weaknesses we already know how strong they are how cunning they are what they fought before we have a lengthy history of these characters so you have loki thor and hulk i can't remember if there's any more but those three specifically we know for Mm -hmm. a fact hulk is extremely strong and we have seen him absolutely pimp slap the crap out of some villains yeah thor is that plus thor like yeah like he's like he's like thor and thor and hulk are the most powerful avengers right and then you have loki who is probably one of the most nuanced anti-villains like he's a great or anti-hero sorry one of the most nuanced characters in the mcu and he's extremely cunning like his mind Mm. is his best weapon whereas thor and hulk their best weapons are their strength and so yeah. by pitting Thanos against the three of them, you get a real barometer for how smart he is and how strong he is. First thing oh, he yeah. does is he kicks the crap out of Thor, and then he kicks the ever-living crap out of the Hulk. Like, no problem. No problem. He takes, like, two punches, and then it's just beat down City. Yeah. And then, after you know, okay, he's really strong. He is, yeah. like, OP. No then they're like, Okay, well, maybe he's kind of like a meathead like the Hulk. Like, he has no intelligence. So then they have Loki there. And Loki tries to do Loki things on him, and it doesn't work, and he Mm. kills him. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. Loki's dead. And I remember watching that in theaters being like, they can't do that. They don't do that in Marvel movies. Like, they don't kill their main characters. And it foreshadows what's going to happen in this movie yeah because thanos wins and what they do for the rest of the movie is exploring the stakes and the the lengths that thanos will go to to win and the sacrifices he will make so that you can empathize with his end goal but thanos wins and it's foreshadowed from the very beginning and from the get-go you're like oh crap they're screwed he he has a very realistic and believable psyche where it's like he's someone I, I think I talked about this in a video that I made uh, last year, and I was comparing um, Vulture in the MCU to Thanos in the MCU, and and I was saying how Thanos is he has emotions. He is not an emotionless being. We see him as he throws Gamora off to yeah. to get the Soul Stone. He's crying, yep. but he he is logically driven. Yes, right. We see that like we see this that he doesn't care what has to happen but he knows that he will like whatever he needs to do he will be he will do it he's to, similar to achieve his goal he's similar to another villain i'm going to talk about later in that his morals are the ultimate barometer for him in whether mm-hmm. he should do something or not and he yeah. feels extremely convicted in his own mission and he's the only one that feels that way yeah but he is so committed to that like set of morals that he has set for himself they come above any amount of emotional leanings either way. His morals yeah. are the ultimate thing to him, and that's something as humans we can relate to. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so when he makes those sacrifices, it's completely understandable because you know his morals are the ultimate thing for him. Yeah, like it goes all the way back to his origins of like, you know, he's explaining this whole thing of like, yeah, my planet like died out because we had way too many, like we had way too many people and not enough resources and, and all of this stuff. And so he's like, all right, I'm not going to let this happen to other people. Right. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to wipe out half the universe, which is still insane. Like you can't like in your right mind, anyone be like, that makes sense. Like, yeah, no, it I mean, definitely doesn't work. And that's usually, and MCU has really capitalized on this with several of their characters, namely Thanos and uh, Eric Killmonger, where they have Mm -hmm. realistic goals that, generally speaking, everybody can relate to. At the heart of it, we can see what they're doing and say, that's not that bad. It's the way they go about doing it that makes them the villain. Yeah. And they do things... It's it's the the goal is, "Eh, it's not too bad. But the way they do it, we're like, that's terrible. Nobody should ever do that. And that's what separates them from the heroes. The heroes, I think sort of kind of want the same thing or at least in that situation they would want the same thing but they would go yeah. about achieving that goal completely differently that that was not like the thing that people were always would argue they're like well why doesn't he just double the resources with with the infinity glove <laughs> instead of instead of infinity gauntlet instead of saying and killing every half people just that's, double everything that's not a good story yeah exactly <laughs> and 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 like and besides thanos is crazy he's literally the mad titan like yeah, he's nuts he like so, you know, he doesn't want to the overpopulation to be a thing. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how, like, I think that kind of wraps up Thanos as a character. But, like, what I love about him is just that, you know, he just became this icon, right? That, like, it, it's like, okay, the MCU can create good villains. Like, we have this compelling character pitted up against these characters that we already love. Yeah. And Thanos became kind of, like, a popular character in his own right. Like, people love seeing Thanos. And, like, when you see him at the end, you see that last act. And, and it is, like, it's chill-worthy. Like, it gives me goosebumps to this day. Yeah. When he comes into Wakanda after getting... The um, let's see. After what stones does he get? He the gets last the. One. No, he doesn't get the last one. See, so because he, he already has the power stone. Oh, because he's got to get visions, infinity stone. Yeah, he yeah, goes, yeah. He, yeah. So they went to to Vormir or whatever. What? Wait, what? No, not Vormir. God, why am I drawing a blank? I've that's seen where this movie Thanos so many went. Times. Or not where? Yeah, so that's not where Thanos went. Gets, that's where Thor went. So yeah, he gets the soul stone. And then he goes to, um, he goes to Titan. Yeah. And that's where the other Avengers are. What does he, he gets something there. I know he does. He gets uh, Doctor Strange's uh, time time stone. That's what it is. Yeah. Okay. Duh. Okay. I'm so stupid. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. That was probably embarrassing. People are probably like yelling at me. You're like, this idiot. He knows nothing. I'm like, yeah. So they get the time stone. Then he goes to Wakanda, and you see that thing, and it's like the trees are rustling, and he they're just like, that's him, and he's there. He just spawns, like, spawns in. He just, like, like he comes in. in, and yeah, like, yeah, exactly. And he just, not like, like, nothing, just wipes the crap out of the Avengers, and then, like, the lat, like, Cap's holding it in place, and it's like, oh, wow, yeah. I love you, it's Cap. It's truly and like, he gets KO'd. it's like a mirror of that first scene where it's like, um, he doesn't really ever fight anybody in between those two scenes. Um, yeah. He goes through his growth arc um, and his character arc. 
I mean, he he fights the so he fights the people on Titan like Spider Man and that's Star right. Lord he does and, and Iron Man. He does. He and and Iron Man holds his own pretty well, but like he still beats all of them. Yeah, and then beats these other Avengers. And like the only person that like kind of stops him is uh, Wanda Maximoff, Scarlet Witch. Yes, and then he's just kind of like just goes back in time and he's like lol yeah <laughs> just takes the time stone when that happened i was like as soon as like he like his, his vision like blew up like his in and the um i believe that is the that is the mind stone that he has yes um as soon as he blew up i was like he can just go back in time and get it <laughs> and then it happened and i was like god yeah <laughs> like and i I, don't, I just remember like what made just with all that being said, before we move on to the next villain, Thanos, as soon as Infinity War ended, and like seeing him just being at peace, and, and he achieved his goal, like it's rarely that you see like a villain like really win. And like, listen, Thanos, by all accounts, he won. The, the, yeah. Basically, the Avengers just got a second win because then in Endgame, they definitely they definitely devalued his character. But it's also because there's like two different Thanoses. Yeah. Like, there's the past Thanos, and the, and and they're very different. Yes. The past version of Thanos is way more angry and emotionally driven and like he just likes killing people. Yeah. So because you because it's basically it's a like a 4 year difference because that movie that one was like 2014 Thanos versus like 2018 Thanos. Yeah. And I think what the so, writers thought would happen is because you already had the Infinity War Thanos, you would take that and be like this is Thanos and this other kind of like simpler dumbed down version of Thanos, like you'll just yeah. kind of forgive him for it because you already know yeah. he's so nuanced. And yeah. in a sense, it kind of worked, but it was like, we already had such a great character, like truly one of the most well-done characters. I mean, he's probably the best, one of the best uh, well-done characters in the MCU, at least in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, because he does—he doesn't have much of an arc. Yeah, he's got like a one movie arc essentially. I know he's in the second movie, but there's no real arc there. Because basically, he just dies right off the bat, and then yeah, dude, that was crazy. When they go in there and chop his head off, I was like, uh, everybody, everybody here now, like, because there it was just sudden. It was like, wait a minute, I can go home now. Like they won. (laughs) Yeah, but they like they like did. It was that thing of like, I remember people cheered in the theater when he like when Thor cuts his head off, and I'm like. They and I, I was like, I wasn't pissed. I was just like, you guys realize like, he still won. Right. Like he did. I'm like this does this does nothing. Like he's dead now. Like okay, literally half of the people in the universe are gone. Yeah. Like my thing, I was sorry. like, there's still two hours of a movie left. What are they gonna do yeah. now? And then yeah. like it was good. I'm not gonna say it wasn't. Yeah. It was good. I, I still think I, I've watched Infinity War and Endgame and both in the same day and like and and it's still really satisfying when you get to that end and like. And they finally like you know beat Thanos and, and oh his that army. And scene like, where they're coming through the portals gives me chills. Yeah. I've seen it probably forty times. Not even exaggerating, yeah. I still get chills. Yeah, yeah, I watch it all the time. And the best thing to watch is the audience reactions of like oh in the yes. I'm sorry, but like Avengers Endgame was the greatest theater experience I've ever had in my life because it was just yeah. so so high. That and like Star Wars: The Force Awakens when it first came out. No, Endgame like, was a thousand percent the, better. In oh, theater, sure. in theaters. In theater, yeah, yeah. Like it was just. Endgame was remember, so like, much fun. Yeah, it, it was great. You're just in there with like this hyped odd. Like I, that that movie, it's a, it is a cultural, uh, landmark. Yeah. In terms of like the film and everything, but anyway, 
Thanos, really dope villain, uh, and he is very unique in his own right, and I value him a lot. Um, anyway, let's get on to something that's a bit more, not lesser known, but, you know, something from you that I think, you know, we need to s- kind of change, shift gears yeah, so, a little bit. Uh, there is an iconic villain who might be the best villain ever I do want to talk about, but first... I got to show some love to one of my favorite villains ever that not a ton of people give a lot of credit to. For, to preface this, if you're about to say the one that I, I you're saying, I didn't know him by name at first, and then you told me, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. that is a good villain. Yeah, so it's Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. Played by Javier Bardem. Yes. Um, I remember, okay, he's on here. Pretty much because I I remember watching that movie and thinking, this is probably the most terrifying human I've ever seen in my life. Oh, yeah. He's absolutely terrifying. And I remember. He's literally. He's like the Terminator. Yeah. Which is also a great villain. So much better. Yeah. Um, and so I did some research, uh, kind of preparing for this episode because I remember his name came up in my initial thoughts of like really good antagonists. Yeah. And so I did a little bit more digging, and I need to watch the movie again because I've only seen it once. Yeah, same. But one thing that I found with Anton Chigurh is that not only is he a cold-blooded murderer, he I mean, he is so like, I don't even know how to put it into words. The way he starts off, I'm just going to preface this real quick. The first time we see Anton Chigurh, we are told that he is like a phantom. We're, he, we know yeah. he's the mob's hitman. Mm-hmm. But he is almost like the angel of death. That is kind of what we know about him before we see him. And it's not right. like people talk about him that much. But we know he's somebody that's... He's a bad guy. Like, he's a bad man. Oh, yeah. The first scene... And I watched this back in preparation for this. And I, I literally got chills. He, his car is quote unquote broken down on the side of the road. He's standing behind, beside his car. The hood is up and he's waiting for somebody to jump him off. And a farmer, uh, drives up mm-hmm. and he, uh, I think, I think this is it. This happens a couple of times, but farmer drives up, says, Hey dude, you need a, you need a jump. And he doesn't say anything. Like, he does yeah. not elicit normal human responses. No. It's super unnerving. And he's yeah, carrying it's, it's an oxygen tank and a tube and a little thingamajig that you don't know what it is. It's, he looks yeah. like one of those things <laughs> that really old people have in a nursing home. Like, it, it just looks like breathing apparatus. Yeah. It, it's what is It's like a... It's like a cow, it's a cattle gun, uh, cattle gun. Okay. So yeah. it's a it's a the thing you see at first. It's not the cattle gun. He uses that later, and it is super cool. But the thing that he has at the beginning is kind of like a dumbed down version of it, where it's still the same concept. It's an air pressurized gun, but it's not yeah. a gun. It's not in gun form. It's just the oxygen tank or the the CO two tank or whatever it is, and yeah. then the tube and the the air thing. And it doesn't even shoot yeah. bullets. It just shoots pressurized air. So, dude comes up, he's going to jump him off, and Anton, holding this 
this oxygen CO2 tank and this tube walks up to him and he kind of like gets eye level with him and he's looking into his yeah. eyes and he goes, can you hold still for me? Dude's like, okay. He has no clue what's happening. He holds this little thing up to his temple and then he just goes, Doo. puts a hole in this dude's head, takes his car and goes. And it's like, that is the first you see of him and you're like, oh my God. You're like, what? Literally, all he does is kill people in this movie. Like, they set it up so well that every time he is in the movie, somebody is going to die. Or you think somebody's oh, yeah. going to die. His whole thing is every person he comes in contact with could He's die. He's literally a slasher. Like yes. he, he is actually like Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger or yes. something like that. Like he, but, he's at this level where it's like you you know all uh, of his morals and everything. Like he's just like he's not go, he's not someone to be reasoned with. He's not someone that you're going to get like emotionally like deep with or anything. He's literally just a guy who's like yeah, I'm here to kill people and like there's there's nothing you can do about it. Right. Like the thing that's it's really fascinating. The thing that's crazy is it's truly the only movie I, I, that comes to mind off the cuff where I can think of a villain that you cannot stop him. He's an unstoppable force. Yeah. And I I remember watching the movie literally thinking every single person he comes in contact with could die. That is the kind of stakes that just does not happen every day. Right. Um, and I know that's kind of like a latent thought that people have in regard to antagonists like, like Heath Ledger's Joker, which we'll talk about later. He has that kind of effect, but it is nowhere mm -hmm. near the same level of Anton Chigurh, where truly every single conversation has this underlying tone of, he might just decide to kill this guy. It's it's a thing of, like, the reason he is so compelling is because they give you nothing. No, you have no clue him. who he is, where he comes from. And he also yeah, gets you mad never, when you, you bring it up. Out. Yeah. So there's a scene in a gas station. Where Anton, and this just underlines the whole thing, like every single time you see him, he could be killing somebody. Yeah. He's in a gas station getting gas on like a candy bar. Just like a really normal thing people do. And he yeah. walks up to the counter. <clears throat> and the dude just starts like asking him about his license plate. Because I think he saw like a Dallas plate on his car. Yeah. And Anton gets super like offended by it. Yeah. Because he brings yeah. up his background and he hates it. And so he immediately starts throwing, like, like he just starts throwing stuff back at him. And one thing you realize with uh, Shigur is that he is super into, like, um, taking what a person says at its face value. Um, yeah. he, there's no nuance or small talk to what he says. Uh, so the things that this man says, are they're small talky. And you can see in the wheels in Anton's mind as he realizes this guy's a victim. And mm -hmm. so one thing Anton does is he flips a coin for this man's life. And he gives the classic line. He says, what's the most you've ever lost in a coin toss? And dude goes, well, I don't know. I can't, I can't, th I don't know. Like, I don't know what the most I've ever lost in a coin toss is. And he says, what's the most you've ever lost? He says, I really don't know. What are, what's the stakes? Like, what am I, what are we flipping for? And he's like, it doesn't matter. Pick a, pick a side. And he's like, well, I got to know what I'm flipping for. He said, no, you don't. Pick a side. He goes, okay, heads. 
Anton has already flipped the coin by now, and he's got his finger on the top of it. So you know whatever it is, it's set in stone. It's about to happen. Whatever is going to happen as a result of this coin toss, it's going to happen. And so he picks it up, and he's happy. Anton's like, oh, congratulations. And it's like, what? You realize whatever, it like that coin, the stakes were the guy's life. He would have killed him. And the reason he would have killed him is because he viewed him as a victim. And victims, he viewed like there's a 50-50 shot that he's going to kill them. Mm -hmm. And it kind of like leaves him absolved of all guilt for killing them because they were a victim. They would have done it anyway. And he views himself as the angel of death. And so he is like fate, that he is an unstoppable force that will happen at some point, regardless if you try and stop it or not, which is the common theme of the movie. And so he's excited because this guy has dodged death. His fate has dictated that he will live. And he's like, keep that coin separate from all the others. That's your lucky coin. And dude, the guy has no clue that he just almost died. No idea. But he's like, keep that coin lucky. Or keep that coin because it's lucky. And he's like, that's your lucky coin. It's like a token for blah, blah, blah. He's like, it's more than a coin even though it's not like he kind of plays it off because he's super awkward. He's like, that's just a coin, but that's also your life. Keep that thing safe. Yeah. It's super crazy. Cause you see, um, in scenes like his morals and his moral code coming out when he's yeah. talking to people and you can see there's a moment when a character, um, instead of being, it's contrasted with that victim character in the gas station. Mm-hmm. Instead of being a victim, this guy just cuts straight to the chase. He says, are you going to kill me? And Anton likes that because he didn't beat around the bush. He operated like Anton would. And Anton's response to him is, do you see me? And it's kind of like this whole moment of, we're, we're not going to play games here. We're not going to flip a coin for you. You're not a victim. Do you see me? Do you realize what I am? And it's like, oh, geez. Like, it's so cool. Super good. Um, that's that's such, like, well-written. Yes. Um, such a well-written script. That's the point where it, like, it, it really hammers it down of, like, who is... Man, I, I... So it's been about a year since I've seen that movie. So, like, I completely forgot about it because a couple of those moments. And now I desperately need to rewatch it. I want to rewatch it, yeah. I'm going to the beach yeah. next week, and that's one of the movies I'm taking to watch. I'm going to rewatch yeah. that. Um, it's, I I wanted to watch it before we did this episode, and I just didn't have yeah. time, so I ended up doing a little bit more digging on his character to find some more nuance than what I already knew. Yeah. And the things you find out about this character from other people who have analyzed the way he thinks and the way he does things, it's just so cool because you can see this character is not like the others. Yeah. And um, the things that make him really interesting are he does have that higher moral code, which I think a lot of villains kind of have in common, but he's completely unpredictable. Um, His goal is to end lives. Mm -hmm. And it kind of works because similar to the Joker, he has no backstory. You have no concept of what he has come from. And so what you're given... And what you see with him, it's just like an in-the-moment kind of thing. And so they they really 
um, expound upon his character on a scene by scene basis. And they give you just yeah. a little bit each time where you can see, oh, there's more to him than just a cold blooded killer. Like there's a calculated, uh, I don't like, there's just a calculated thing going on there. Like there's so much yeah. more to it than just, I kill things. I kill people. Right. There's, there's a rhyme and reason to it. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, you keep on mentioning Heath Ledger's Joker, and I feel like because because there are a lot of similarities between him and Chigurh, but also there are, I would say, some some major differences, yeah. I think you should just go ahead and like jump right into that before I get into my other villain. Yeah, so how do you start with this? I think, for, I, I think a lot of people would say Heath Ledger's Joker is the greatest villain ever, and I know that's controversial, and people will argue about that. There, there's a, I think there, you know, not, I don't think that's a factual statement, but I it's think an, it's definitely it's a subjective arguable. Statement. Like it's, yeah, it's like, it, he is arguably yes. the like, greatest villain. Like you could, like you could, you can debate it. You yeah. Know? And I think there's, but you can debate, totally he, see, you can totally see where people are coming from when they say that. Oh yeah. Like I can't be like, no, you're wrong. Yeah. Like, no, you like, cannot say um, like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like there is something yeah. to it. Um, yeah, the thing with that Joker specifically is he needed to be that way in order to work in that movie because Batman was so quintessentially viscerally real. Um, Batman, at least the Dark Knight trilogy, was so much of we're taking Batman, this mythic uh, Dark Knight, and we're putting yeah. him in a real world. And so yeah. the Joker has to also be in that real world. And he cannot be the guy who's making, he's giving people like laughing gas. It's like killing them with a smile on their face. He's not throwing, I saw something where Jack Nicholson's Joker threw a quill at somebody's neck and it killed him. And it was like, that's interesting, but it's not, like, that's not realistic. If right. I saw Tim that, Burton's I wouldn't Batman buy it. Is, yeah, Tim, Tim Burton's uh, Batman and, and that entire universe is very much more of a, a comic book take on it and, and not necessarily the the realistic take. That's what I always say about the Dark Knight uh, trilogies. I'm like, this is Christopher Nolan trying to make Batman fit in the real world. What would it be like, you know? Right. And it's like, and it's like, okay, you can definitely see that because it's it's so much that entire that entire universe is so much different than the comic book variant of, of Batman or any other interpretation of Batman, really. Yeah. Um, but in, but anyway. Yeah. What you find out about this version of the Joker is he doesn't care about anything except chaos. Yeah. And at at its on its face value, that seems like it's really hard to execute. But the way that it's done in that movie is so directed and it's not just like pure chaos for the sake of it, which it, it is, but it's directed at a singular object. I would object. say I just came up with the best term to describe Heath Ledger's Joker from The Dark Knight, and that is calculated chaos. Yes. That is the best way to put it, because he's not just like going around like, oh, I'm doing all this and all this. It's like like he wants to create chaos, yeah. but he has a very systematic approach at achieving chaos, yeah. and he wants to prove the point that 
people are like this short away from being from just him. going crazy. He yes, wants exactly. to prove that people are not so different from him than they would have themselves believe. Yeah. And, 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 and to the point, he literally, that's another thing. He wins to an extent. He wins so much. Like if you take, I want to take two examples of Joker winning. So when uh, he captures um, Rachel and he captures um, Harvey, Harvey Dent and he puts them in the warehouses, he switches the addresses and gives them to Batman. Yep. So what he's doing is no matter what, Batman will lose because if he decides to go get Rachel, he's going to find Harvey and he's going to lose. If he decides to go get Harvey, he's going to get Rachel and he's going to lose. So either way, it does not matter what Batman picks, he's going to lose. Yeah. It's a lose-lose situation, and it's awesome because the Joker's not even there. He doesn't even pull the trigger. He just sets it up. He's like, and you don't know that until afterward. You have no clue that what's about to happen is Batman is going to lose. Yeah. Another thing he does is in his effort to prove that everybody is basically two steps away from him, he takes the figure that everybody aspires to be the one that everybody looks up to. He takes Harvey Dent. He takes the white knight and he's like, okay, I'm going to take your idol and I'm going to make him into me. And it's so brilliant because he succeeds in doing that. And what happens is because he succeeds in creating two face, it's a lose lose situation because Batman and Gordon can either, they have two options they can then either cover it up, which they end up doing in the movie. They can cover up the fact that Harvey Dent became Two-Face. Yeah. Or it can expose the government government for being corrupt. And it it basically says this this order that you think is protecting you is not. It's a a total lie. lie. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's brilliant. It's so brilliant. God, and it, that so movie good. is just like a, a cycle of the Joker proving to people that they are not much different than he is. And he does it yeah. in such a seemingly haphazard way mm-hmm. that you think it's total chance, but it's not. It's totally calculated. He's brilliant. Yeah. And he's... A, oh, and we, ha- we, ha- we have to talk about the opening scene of that entire movie that just sets up his character so beautifully. Like from the get go, it is like, this is what the Joker is about. It sets up his character as a, as the nihilist that he is. Cause he cares nothing for any human's life, including his own. He only cares about chaos. Yeah. Yeah, He doesn't care about his because literally he walks into that boardroom of all those, of those mob bosses and he literally has grenades just strapped to his body. And even more than that, when at the end of the movie, Batman throws him off the building, he's laughing because he doesn't care if he dies. Yeah. He does not care. He says, I want you to hit me. Yeah. When he's, when, when Batman, like, Wow, you don't really think about how many times like Joker just has close and like calls with death. Yeah, he gives Harvey he Dent a gun care. and tells him to shoot him, and it's the last yeah. straw in turning Harvey Dent into Two Face. He's like, "Yeah, shoot me, I don't care." Because what will happen is this established order that they think that they have created will be completely appended. They think yeah. they figured me out. Well, now I'm dead. And you're going to turn everything back into more chaos. You're going to spawn more yeah. chaos by killing me because they think I'm top dog. Right. And, and you see, and it's 
it's honestly a shame that like they you know that what happened to Heath Ledger because they wouldn't have I think they would have been able to continue the story in such a beautiful way. But even with the Dark Knight Rises, with you know the Joker not being there, you still see the aftermath and the effects of his character and what he did to Gotham and to Harvey Dent through that into the next movie. Like you know Gotham is not the same; it is forever changed. Yeah. Um, and and I would have loved to have seen how they would have gone about um, implementing him into the next movie, but they pretty much just treat it as like he's just not there. Yeah, like I think uh, I think the unofficial thing was like he's in Arkham, but even then, it yeah. was like I don't. It was a th- it was a weird thing because like you know if Bane Bane would have broke him out right, like no doubt about he totally it. Like, would. because you see, because you see like they the Dark Knight Rises has like every single major villain in that movie except Joker like at least mentioned right yeah. they mention uh, or, I mean Cillian Murphy's Scarecrow by the way love him as a villain he's a That's great villain too yeah um, you see Liam Neeson as Rachel Ghoul, or at least they, they, they mention him mm-hmm. and then you've got uh, Bane and Talia and all that, and it, and then they mention Harvey as like a, that's like a big thing in the very beginning, but they just don't mention Joker, and it was like, it, it is hard to like to write around. It, it's it's very difficult to write around a actor's death. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you can see that the rise of Skywalker with Carrie Fisher and whatnot, but that's a whole other thing. But the one final thing I want to say about Joker before we move on is the we already know he just. He's so calculated, and the way he does things is so brilliant. But to top it all off, his relationship with Batman is brilliant. So well done. Because he knows how to tap on Batman's weaknesses mm-hmm. and to prove to Batman... Because Batman approaches things like there's good in everyone. And what Joker does is he tries to append that, append that and say... Okay, you think that there's good in everyone to become a hero. I'm saying there's an equal amount of evil in everyone that they can become the villain. Right. And he does that with the whole Harvey Dent thing. And he also um, breaks Batman by killing Rachel. And even though it was total chance, like there was a 50-50 shot that it would happen. But either way, he knew he would break him. And on top of it all when given the opportunity to kill Batman, he's like, I don't even want to because you're so much fun. Like you're an unstoppable force and I'm an immovable object. We, his presence helps elevate Joker's motive, right? Because Joker is so hell bent on chaos. Batman is the bedrock, the unchanging force that will always be the same. And Joker's ultimate goal is to take that bedrock and turn it into sand. Yeah. And he knows, and this is why Joker's so good, he knows it will never happen, but because he does not care for any life at all, period, he's going to continue to do it, and he's going to go to whatever means necessary because that singular goal drives him so much. Yeah. So... He simply wants to watch the world burn. Yeah, some men just want to watch the world burn. Yeah, God, man. Uh, yeah, that, that you nailed it right on the head with with Joker. I, I could not have said it better myself. I love that character. Anyway, yeah. hit me with another um, one that you love. This will probably be the last one because, and I'm sure I I feel like inevitably we will do another discussion at some point yeah. on more villains. There's definitely more I want to talk deeper. about, but there are some oh, yeah. really big 
big ones that we kind of had to hit first. Oh, yeah. So you had to see this one coming a mile away from, from who I am. Yeah. And, and Josh kind of let the responsibility go to me. Darth Vader. Yep. I mean, I, I could have, I probably could just drop the mic right there and be like, there you go. Yep. But like, there's all you need but, to know. It's Darth Vader. So, so he, here's the thing with Vader. All, all things aside from like the, like my love of Star Wars, I'm going to approach this from my uh, perspective of storytelling and, and crafting of films. So, yeah. Darth Vader, see, I think it's a toss up between. Uh, Heath Ledger's Joker and Vader is like the greatest cinematic villains of all time because Darth Vader, the first thing you, I'm just going to go from the very beginning. As soon as you see him walk on screen and you hope you're like, that guy is bad and I am so intrigued by him, Mm -hmm. right? He's this masked character who you know nothing about but you know there's a man underneath this mask maybe not maybe like until you realize he's more machine now than man twisted and evil as obi-wan says but it's like okay this guy is bad he first of all he just they nailed his design so well they did the ralph mccory who did the the concept art for it and inevitably translated that into what his like you you just see the silhouette you can see the silhouette of vader's helmet and just be like darth vader right um so the first thing is that Darth Vader, I would say, in the first movie, it, that being A New Hope, he, he's a character that just kept on getting greater and greater until I think he became... And check out uh, Comic Blast where we talk about... the uh, And one of the more recent episodes where we talk about the top ten Star Wars characters. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, Darth Vader's number one. Uh, <laughs> and there's a reason for it. Yeah, and there's a reason for it is because he pretty much gets an entire saga dedicated to him. Yeah. Because he is, he's the chosen one. Like, Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader is the chosen one. But if we're setting it up from the very beginning, A New Hope, he's pretty rudimentary, but he is just this, he's just this cool villain. Mm-hmm. He's got this red lightsaber. First of all, he was the only one, like, that in that entire trilogy had a, had a red lightsaber. He has motivations tied to a character, that being Obi-Wan. And you're like, okay, this guy's bad. Yep. Second movie, you set up like, oh, the bad guy has a master. Interesting. But he has even more depth when they realize, oh, he's tied to Luke Skywalker. He's Luke Skywalker's father. This guy was a Jedi. Like, he, there, there's still possibly good in him. Mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi, you get this beautiful arc that, you know, I, and, man, I would have loved to have, you know, watched these movies as they came out originally. Um because I think they got really lucky with the original trilogy in the sense that like it practically did no wrong and the and the, it was like written so beautifully, especially with his character and his arc in a and you in see a broader the scope. Mo- yes, yeah, like he is this he is this most evil guy, and they realize like oh wow, there is some there is a man underneath that mask that has this tragic backstory, and he is brought into the light from to or from by his son. Excuse yeah. Me. Um, and then you're like, okay, wow, Darth Vader, great character, like, love him. Then you get, you know, 20 years later, you get an entire trilogy explaining the foundation of of Darth Vader. Yeah. And there was a lot of people that were very upset with how uh, how Anakin and Vader was uh, was approached. However, I think that's probably one of the best things about you think? the entire Star Wars saga is like his character is written 
so well. Like you believe in his motivations, and you like you understand why he falls to the dark side. Yeah, it's and in some moments it is pretty fast, but once when you continue to watch like things outside of the the main trilogy, like watching the like the Clone Wars and reading the books and things like that, like Darth Vader is there is a reason why Darth Vader has like an endless amount of comic book runs and like books and and then an entire like six movies dedicated to his character yeah. and that's because he is such a complex character yeah. like I really think he is to Star Wars what Michael Jordan was to the NBA like he <laughs> drives it um and especially like the original trilogy Let's be honest. Luke Skywalker is a so-so protagonist. Yeah. He's good, but he's nothing special. The reason why those movies are so interesting is because Vader is so iconic. And I think in Empire Strikes Back, it's just, I, I almost, it's so well done, Vader's character in that movie especially. Vader is a main character in that movie as yeah. well, right? Vader is a main character throughout all of the movies. Like he that's that's one thing that's great about Star Wars is that they focus like alternatively to other movies is like they they make the antagonist also protagonist in the sense that we see things from their viewpoint yeah. and kind of get the full picture of it. Yeah. There's also that scene where he's walking like he goes into the the rebel ship, and he just starts wrecking people, and oh, in Rogue One, yes, um, there's that scene which is. Whew. I mean, that was the, that's Rogue One's hallway scene for Vader. This this is the thing is like Disney knows how people how much people love Darth Vader, yeah, because he is like the crux of that universe, yeah, and. And it, sometimes it gets to the point that I'm like, okay, we don't need to rely on the nostalgia of Darth Vader constantly. Yeah. But I will say his appearance in Rogue One is so good because we get to see this guy in this suit. What we my my dad told me when we walk or when he walked out of the theater, he's like, I've been waiting like forty years to see that. Yeah. Because he was like, I've always wanted to see because that's what he thought he was going to see in the prequels. He thought he was going to see Vader do something like that. He was like, you get a scene of literally like he is like a like a horror character in that, where he is just killing, like it's like straight up like, like just killing, and you're just like, this is beautiful. Yeah. Like I love this. I think the thing for me that really kind of made Vader iconic was the way other characters treated him, and I think a textbook thing oh, yeah. that a writer can do to prime an audience to think something about a character is to create a narrative surrounding that character before they even appear mm. or even while they are on screen create an ever create a narrative about that character without them doing anything yeah and the way even his own it's not just the way rebels treat him <clears throat> in the original trilogy it's the way his own subordinates treat him they are terrified oh, yes. of him vader is on another level like there's the empire and like you know as a kid, I used to think I'm like, yeah, Darth Vader's just part of the Empire. Like this is normal. When I'm I am reading and I'm like watching this stuff now, I'm like, dude, not even the Empire likes Vader. No, like, the, like, because he basically he's like, that you know, the Empire is very systematic and like it is a military organization with like ranks and everything. And Vader's just kind of like, boop, like yep. up at the top. Like Palpatine's like, yeah, you're like the commander now. Yep. Like, and and like, and then they do that terrified. again. They do that again with Palpatine. 
because we don't know much about Palpatine at all to start. No. We only know who Darth Vader is, and we've seen Vader be terrifying and a great villain, and then it's like, oh, he's got a master. He's not yeah. the top dog. There's somebody he yeah. answers to. That guy must be insane. Like, that. Yeah. if Vader is this and he isn't top dog, the guy who is must be all-world bad guy. Yeah, and, and especially, like, and, and this is, I'll, I'll talk about Palpatine a little bit. It's like, you know, you get into the original trilogy and you're like, Palpatine's, like, he, evil, evil guy, like, whatever, fine. Yeah. But even the prequels set up Palpatine as being, like, this really interesting character and special, and, like I said, Clone Wars and things like that, where it's like, oh, Palpatine even has, like, ev- like, okay, I think one of the coolest things about Palpatine is how Darth Maul is treated against Palpatine and how, like, Darth Maul, again, another character that is just, he is literally like a demon. Like, they made him, like, this just horned demon man with a double-bladed lightsaber. You're like, this guy is scary. Darth Maul is absolutely horrified by Palpatine. Yeah. Like, like it is like, like, he, he, Darth Maul turns into a crying baby at one point in the Clone Wars because of how fearful he is of Palpatine. Darth Vader... I don't know if Darth Vader is scared of Palpatine as much as he just hates Palpatine. Like, right. and, and I mean, like, but there's, I mean, like, he's still his master and like looks up to him a lot. But like, there's moments in in um, in certain things where it's just like, you know, Vader would just wants to kill Palpatine right then because he just has so much pent up rage. Mm-hmm. Like, like he doesn't owe anything to Palpatine. He's like, I've still lost everything. Yeah, and it's like, like my anger and my rage is the only thing I have left, and I just. I, I hate you with a passion, but like, there's nothing I can do. And, but then inevitably, like he, he turns on Palpatine and comes back to the light. Yeah. Um, I'll say there's one weakness with Vader's character in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's, it's a two parter kind of thing, but mm-hmm. um, the first aspect of it is he doesn't seem to have a clear motivation. Yeah. Um, he just, he yeah. is, how do I say this? He is so well uh, set up as a big bad villain, and he's kind of used to propel Luke's character forward. Right. Um, he doesn't really act autonomously on his own, and mm-hmm. so I would almost say like there's so much there, and I really would have liked to see more autonomous Darth Vader stuff. And I know there's a structure. Uh, the mm-hmm. way the Empire works, the way the dark side works. But as great as Darth Vader is, and he is fantastic, he is kind of a means to Luke Skywalker's end. Right. And oh, I, I think some people love that, and some people are indifferent towards it, and some people don't like it very much. But I think it's like it, the slight knock, the slight chink in his armor is... And that's where he's a little bit different from some of these other villains. He is yeah. not his own autonomous being. Yeah. Um, and even like Anton Chigurh, he's under an, a hierarchy, but he's an autonomous being. Um, yeah. Joker's 100% an autonomous being. Thanos is an autonomous being. Darth Vader's the only one here that really isn't. Um, and even despite that, he's still arguably the greatest of them all. Which is yeah. a great testament to how iconic of a villain he is and even how nuanced he is. Because mm-hmm. um, I think some people would say the prequels take away from his character. 
in some sense they do, but they create this larger mythos of what Darth Vader is. And they give you all of this extra stuff that he was iconic before, but now he's got an incredible arc, a sweeping arc mm-hmm. that is really, really cool and really well done. Yeah, and I think that was kind of George Lucas's envision is that, you know, they wanted Vader to be the, the it's his story. There's a reason it's episode four, five, six. Yeah. And like, then he did one, two, three, because like, first of all, I knew he didn't have the tech to do one, two, three. But like, it's just the seeds that they plant, even from the Phantom Menace of Anakin's character to all the way to then. And it's like, it's just, it's just really well done. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't, I, you'd be hard pressed for anybody to go and go up to be like, yeah, Darth Vader is a sucky villain. Like he's, he's a top tier echelon villain, I would say. 100%. Um, yeah. Um, one last thing before I want to get, I want to like actually just say like what our top, like not, maybe not like officially or whatever, but like our just top five villains yeah. before I want to say that though, shout out to Kylo Ren. Uh, you're pretty dope. Uh, but the reason I didn't mention him is cause I don't think he's anywhere near these types of characters in terms of like, um, I also don't really consider him a villain. Yeah. I consider him kind, kind of, of an antihero. Yeah. Oh, wow. That actually is kind of a good point. Yeah, that, that kind of made me think of Prince Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender. Like I said, we have a... Which, I mean, inevitably he becomes a hero, but that's another thing. I'm sure, for a fact, we will do another episode that it will we will get into more antagonists and start to analyze even more things. Because there's, there's just so many different types of villains that I think are great there's more that i just i want to talk yeah, about same here. um but we only have so much time in this episode and i don't want it to overstay its welcome so for now we'll leave you with that um but go ahead and mention like your f- you don't know maybe not in any specific order because this is kind of it's going to be uh, really hard know. to put them in an order but yeah um i really think shoot what is this i've got them listed listed right here okay for me my top five and I'll just rifle through them real quick in no particular order is uh, Darth Vader, Heath Ledger's Joker, Anton Chigurh, uh, Norman Bates, and uh, oh, wow. yeah, Hannibal yeah. Lecter. Dang, yeah. Oh, that's one we definitely have to talk about at some point. Yeah. I'd and love one, to talk about Lecter. One I really want to talk about, but I can't put him over any of these, is Hans Landa, or Hans Landa, Hans Landa from... Uh, Inglorious Bastards. He is incredible. Oh, y- yes. Oh, man. Christoph Waltz. Yeah. Great. Really great, good villain. Uh, and I want to talk about yeah. his character. I want to talk about him, Agent Smith, uh, Norman Bates. I want to talk about them in a later episode Agent at some Smith. point. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have a lot more to talk yeah, about. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. more great villains, but a top five, it's probably got to be Darth Vader, Heath Ledger's Joker, Sugar, Norman Bates, and Hannibal Lecter for me. Yeah. Um, I had a couple like more in my mind and now I'm like kind of blanking. Um, okay. So one, and for sure, number one, Vader. I'm for now, I'm going to say Thanos is in my top five just because I really enjoy his character and how he's done in the MCU. Uh, three, Heath Ledger's Joker. Um, that's a no brainer. Um, four, I I also at one point want to talk about Voldemort. Yeah. Because I think Voldemort, especially as someone who I read the books and not strictly the movies, I think Voldemort is an even better character um, in the books. So got to give some credit to him. The fifth one, though, I'm like, 
I'm like struggling to find a fifth one. And I don't know if I want to like limit it to like movies or whatnot. Um, I don't want it to just keep it strictly to like comic books and Star Wars and anything like that. Um, oh, that's tough. I don't know. Um, you know, this is not a, a, an official thing or anything like that. Um, however, oh, you know what? I know one. Uh, I'm going to just say off the whim, this isn't even top five, but I just wanted to say it because I need like a placeholder. <laughs> that is uh, Vladimir Makarov from Modern Warfare, the entire trilogy. Oh. I don't know if you've played those, but he is a villain that I just... I almost said General Shepard for Modern Warfare 2 as well, because I think he's a character that a villain I was like, you know what, I'm going to say Shepard, actually. Makarov, I hate you, but like, <laughs> Shepard, like, but like, oh, that was just such an off-the-cuff thing that I'm like, and I wanted to mention a couple villains from like Red Dead Redemption or Red Dead 2. Yeah. Listen, man, villains are cool. Villains are really I, cool. We got to do I, more episodes about villains. Yeah, um, this may be like a continuous thing. Like once a month, we just talk about villains. Like I'm sure there will be because, three or four more episodes we can do about villains. Also, because, I want because antagonists are so crucial to stories. Yeah, if you're listening to this, I want you to go to Instagram and comment on any of our posts. It doesn't matter which one. Comment some of your favorite villains because I really kind of want to talk with y'all who are listening about some of your favorite villains and why. Yeah, hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Instagram. Yeah. I want to have these combos. I want to see, I would love, honestly, for people to send in some of their favorite villains and then us talk about them Yes. Uh, on the podcast, like to make it kind of like a submission thing. Because there are just so many villains out there in books and comics and movies and t- television shows. Like, I just think of so many of them and how, how very, like, you know, the variations in villains is, is pretty drastic. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a testament to how, like, you know, your protagonist is only good as your antagonist. True, 100%. And, um, and that's why I think we, we love them so much is because they really challenge and, like, uh, they, they just challenge the protagonist in, in such a great way. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that should do it for this episode of... The Rising Action Podcast. Of course, you can find find us at the rising or at Rising Action underscore on Instagram. Me at Straight Through Eight on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, and Letterbox again. <laughs> oh yes, and Letterbox. Of course, you can find me at uh, Josh underscore J ninety eight on Letterbox and Twitter, and you can find me at Josh Johnson ninety eight on Instagram. Yes, and with that being said. I just want my phone call.